You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, for tonight's Best Possible Taste. Coming up this evening, Chef Wade Murphy of Restaurant 1826 Adair and President of Eurotalk Ireland is going to be in the studio to discuss the impact that legislation regarding the availability of allergen information is having on the hospitality industry. Chef Randy Lewis will share details of his travels to India and have a mouth-watering recipe for us all to try. John McKenna will be on the phone talking about the release of three new apps, one that tells you where the 100 best places to eat are in Ireland, one to tell you where the 100 best places to stay are, and finally one that tells you where to eat and stay specifically on the Wild Atlantic Way. And TJ O'Connor will be highlighting some of the events taking place tomorrow in the Institute of Technology in Tralee at the Food for Thought event. Before I bring Wade on, let me tell you how to get in touch. You can email me, s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org, which is short for Queen of Organisation. Okay, so last year the government introduced legislation which states that diners must have access to written details to allergen information whenever they're out for something to eat. Shortly after it was introduced, I was in restaurant 1826 Adair and I asked its chef owner, Wade Murphy, what exactly the story was with it. What did it mean to the diner, to the restaurant? We had a very interesting conversation about it, how it all works and the impact that having to generate this information has on restaurants like weeds. I asked him if he'd come in to talk about it on air and share his views with you, the listeners, and I'm delighted that he is here tonight. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Weird, thanks for coming in this evening. Not at all, my pleasure. And we're going to talk about a very contentious issue amongst <laughs> the chefs of this world, and that is the legislation that has been set that you now must display food allergens on your menus. Just explain to the listeners what it's all about. Well, firstly, firstly, I, want, I just want to say that, like you know, while we're we're giving out about it as as restaurants and as chefs, we prior to this legislation anyway, we take in our, in eighteen twenty six we take allergies extremely seriously and if somebody says they're allergic to anything everything stops and their food is prepared with fresh you know we clean all out, away any any spoons or anything like that so everything is clean and hasn't touched anything the only thing is we openly use nuts we openly use flour but stupidly uh, back in December our nanny state government introduced a, a, a legislation this came from Europe uh, it was a Europe-wide legislation and uh, our, our uh, Department of Health decided to take it to the extreme uh, um, while certain countries like Great Britain and uh, the UK, even up in the north of Ireland, took a, a, a quite a, 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 a liberal, not liberal, not the right word, but um, they took it... Uh, they, they brought in the legislation and basically what they've said is that you need to speak to your server about your allergy. Whereas our government brought in this stupid idea that somewhere in your restaurant, the guest must be able to, without the assistance of any member of staff, get a printed uh, version of your menu with all of the allergens per dish typed or handwritten on that menu. Uh, so that's in our restaurant in the corner took me three days to do Uh, and since December 12th since the law came in not one person has asked for it so let me just get this straight then this legislation has come from the EU in yeah, some yeah. shape or form yeah. but it's up to individual countries countries then to, to, to decide, to decide and then uh, the Irish yeah the Irish uh, our, our government decided to go to the extreme and say that you know it must be printed uh, whether handwritten or, or whatever a, a, a full list of every allergen that's in every dish uh, all the 14 listed allergens you know even uh, uh, there's certain things that are not there uh, but the 14 listed allergens must be any of them that are used must be uh, on display 
um, somewhere in your restaurant for the guests to um, to, to, to acquire the information. Now, the 14 allergens are cereals containing gluten, mm-hmm. shellfish, eggs, fish, soybean products, milk, nuts including peanuts, almonds, yeah. walnuts, cashews and other common types, celery, mustard and sesame seeds. Yeah, and lupin. You've missed out lupin there, which is... Uh, and on what is lupin, that? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, got, haven't used it yet. Um, uh, there, there's one dish that we have on the re- on the menu that has 13 of the 14 allergens, the crab claws. Um, so we, we're, I'm trying to get lupin in there somewhere, uh, but I haven't managed to use it yet. Yeah, they're 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 the 14 listed allergens. Obviously, you get other uh, uh, allergies, uh, you know, whether it's garlic or this or mushrooms or or stuff like that. But um, you know what 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 this go, what this legislation and the way this law was passed in Ireland it has put the onus on the restaurant so now literally because I have to have it printed that if you come in and don't tell me that uh, you're allergic to anything and I've missed something and you uh, have a reaction then basically I'm liable I think now if I had a serious allergy yeah. to something, even if I did see it written down on a, a menu in a restaurant, I'd still would want to check with, what, the, with yeah, the staff. Yeah, exactly. And what, what I believe uh, and what we, we encourage in the restaurant is that it's a, it's a conversation between the guest and the server. The server, we, we train our staff as to what's in each dish, how it's cooked, everything like that. It, an allergen, uh, uh, anybody with any serious allergy, it, you really need to talk to your server and, and, and you know have a conversation with your server and say what you're allergic to uh, and, and we can sort it out there. And then, you know, this, this legislation just really is a waste of time and, and really, really ridiculous. Um, uh, um, you know, unfortunately, we've, I've had a case, not a case, but I, I've had a particular incident where uh, we use pumpkin seeds and stuff like that on our brown bread and we put the brown bread down. The person had ordered, uh, they'd ordered scallops and something else. We put the brown bread down and um, the lady said, uh, are those nuts on that bread? And uh, Luckily enough, it was to Elaine that she said it to, uh, and Elaine said, "No, they're seeds." But uh, are you allergic to nuts? And uh, she said, "Oh yeah, I am. Yeah, like the scallop comes with a, a, a pine nut and almond granola, you know, and it says it on the menu." Yet the lady ordered it, never said anything. You know, like we have to be able to catch things out. But really, this this legislation, it, it, it's it's a ridiculous legislation. It's done to make us a complete nanny state. And um, you know, it it really does need to be a conversation between the uh, the server and the customer. And you know, it's up to the to the guest as well to, to let us know that they have a serious allergy. You know, whilst we're whilst we're uh, out there while we're cooking and everything like that and, and chefs have their certain reputation we don't want to make anybody sick I, I don't the last thing I want to do is make any, somebody sick so even prior to this legislation we took uh, in the restaurant we, we take allergies, allergies very very seriously the person's order is highlighted with a highlighter pen so it stands out from the rest of the orders it's marked everything slows down and we do these people with it, whatever allergy it is. There's certain things we won't be able to, you know, like if somebody has a, a gluten allergy uh, or whatever like that, I have to say to them, listen, I openly use flour throughout the kitchen, you know, and I have to say, that, and we always say that. I'm not saying that to be nasty. I'm not saying that to be, oh, I can't help you. But it, it is a fact, you know, that openly use flour. It's a small restaurant. We don't have rooms where we just do f- pastry work and this that and the other you know it's it, it's a small room but uh, yeah so it, it is important to have that conversation with, with, between the guest and the and, uh, and, the, and their server and do you find that you have many diners that have allergens but they're not really allergens uh, you, come, you, you come yeah yeah you, you come across that but look at that's 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 part and parcel that's not as annoying as the as the uh, legislation and our uh, and how our government are, are what they're trying to do to the restaurant industry in this country but um, you know, you you do have it. You do have people say, "Oh, I'm I, I, I'm 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 allergic to dairy," and then it comes to the dessert, and they order the meringue mess, and they say, "Oh, a little bit of cream is okay." You know, <laughs> you you get that. That's going 
gonna happen but uh, you know you, you can just you can just do do what you can with that and, and laugh it off and uh, whatever but you get it like in our, we, we have a lot a serious amount of celiacs in this country and, and it's something that's part and parcel uh, you know even from I'm cooking 20 something years now and the difference the amount of people you see with celiac disease uh, nowadays is, is, is huge compared to, to that and you know we have gluten free bread yes we do use flour openly in the kitchen you know the chips that we use there's some breadcrumbs that might be you know we we breadcrumb a, a, a pig's head croquette that we make that gets deep fried you know there, there could be trace elements in, anywhere but we we as i said like we take it very seriously and yes you do you do get sometimes you get annoyed when somebody says oh i'm allergic to something and then they can say they say they can or they can have a little bit you know then it's a dietary requirement you know so well, this legislation isn't the first legislation that the government has brought in or is talking about bringing in that is affecting the hospitality industry. Because last year, your colleague Patricia Roberts from mm-hmm. the, the Restaurant Association of Ireland, the, the Munster area, was here talking about the calories on menus. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this seems, another... <laughs> it seems to be heating up again. It is, yeah. because Well, the, the legislation hasn't, uh, hasn't been written yet. It will, it will, it will happen. Um, in what form, I, I don't know. Um, but if it does come in as a blanket right across the board, uh, I'm going to be paying out a lot of fines because I will not put calories on my menu. Um, and I'll pay the fines. I'll break the law. I, I'm not going to do it. Uh, ne- never. Even Elaine tweeted about it today, saying that we, we won't put calories on our menu. You know, in in the, they brought it in in, in America, and. Uh, they, 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 they brought it in that it had to be done if you had 20 or more chains of a restaurant or 20 or more premises of the same. They, they changed that in New York to 10 or more, um, which is fine. Yes, that's fine. These places probably have a central kitchen. You know, everything is made and exactly the same, shipped out to whatever premises, the, the, the other property or the other chain or other franchises. Uh, and, you know, that can be done and they have people that do that. That's fine. Uh, that's fine by me. But, um, you know, individual, how are they going to police it? They can't, they can't police the, 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 the allergen thing already. The, how are they going to police calories? I, I really don't know. Now, I'm getting up my soapbox about it, all right. But as I said, the legislation hasn't been written yet. And if it does come in as blanket across the board, I won't be doing it. Um, hopefully uh, we won't be the typical nanny state again uh, and do this but um, you know I agree uh, I agree to you know for it to be on fast food uh, uh, outlets for it to be in cafes that sh- serve like cakes or whatever like that that you know that are made the whole time I have no problem with that but uh, indiv- individual uh, special occasion restaurants obesity doesn't happen in a restaurant obesity start the fight against obesity needs to start at home with education people obesity is caused by eating people eating processed fast food uh, 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 and stuff like that coming to me and having a dinner is not going to cause obesity because you don't come to me every day of the week people need to be educated about what's good to eat at home uh, you know they're, they're talking about bringing calories in in our menus but yet we still have uh, uh, soft drink machines and and chocolate bar machines in uh, in schools. You know why not put a, a ban on on the sale of these within a certain radi- ra- uh, radius of a school and stuff like that. That's that's the way to fight obesity. Not by hitting restaurants again in the pocket. The Ar- the Restaurants Association of Ireland have said that if they bring this in, it'll cost uh, a premises between five and six thousand euros to get it done with man hours and everything like that. It's just ridiculous. Like You mentioned there about the policing of it and presumably it's the responsibility of the Environmental Health Office. Yes, I presume it would it. be, yeah, yeah. And I don't imagine that the resources there are, or actually exist there for them to do that on top no, of their I current... Don't, I, don't, I don't think so, no. They're, they're stretched enough as it is, you know. They're trying to do their job and it, it, then more and more of this stuff uh, gets put on top of them. Like this, it, like even if you look at the, the, the allergen... Uh, the legislation was was brought in and passed in the doll and it was brought in by the Department of Health. That then gets passed on to the Food Safety Authority of Ireland, who are responsible for food safety in, in Ireland. Then it comes back again to the Department of Health uh, under the uh, gu- guidance of, of the EHOs. Uh, who are work for the Department of Health. So it goes from the Department of Health to the Food Safety Authority of Ireland, back to the Department of Health in the EHO, and they don't know, the other one doesn't know what the other one is doing because everybody has different opinions as to how it should be done. And it's just ridiculous. 
Well, Weed, thanks so much for coming in to talk to me about it this evening. I know in your capacity as president of Eurotalk in Ireland and also as chef proprietor of 1826 Adair, it's something that you're clearly very passionate well, about. I am, yeah, and I don't I don't mean to be sounding like I'm going off into a tangent on it, but, you know, it really, it does affect how, how our, you know, I... I it affects how we how we do our business, how our business works. You know, at the end of the day, all I want to do is cook food that people want to eat. I'm not here to try tell people how to eat. I'm not here to try, you know, do anything other than cook. All I want to do is cook food uh, for, that people want to eat. And, you know, our, our, our government are just making, uh, you know, my, our job less and less enjoyable every day with by introducing ridiculous legislation like this. Weird. Thanks for coming in this evening. It's no problem. Pleasure. It's to talk to you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunte. Thanks again to Weed for coming in to talk about an issue that he clearly feels very strongly about. Still to come tonight, John McKenna will be on the phone talking about the release of three new apps that tell you where the 100 best places to eat are in Ireland, where the 100 best places to stay are and where to eat and stay specifically on the Wild Atlantic Way. And TJ O'Connor will be highlighting some of the events taking place tomorrow in the Institute of Technology in Tralee at the Food for Thought event. Next though... It's time to put a call in to County Clare. I regularly put requests out on Twitter for people to get in touch with their food stories. And one response came from La Hinch in County Clare. I got a lovely email from Randy Lewis, who said he'd love to come on to the show to tell us all about his time spent in India and the influence that it has had on his cooking. So it's great to have him on the phone this evening for a chat. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Randy, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thanks very much. And you have travelled extensively. You're now in Lahinch, but tell us, how did you get there via India? How did I get to Lahinch via India? Well, first, I actually started in Ireland. In, um, I, I started in Dublin, Ireland, and um, I came over to Lahinch because I wanted to surf. And so I stuck around Lahinch for, for quite a while, until about 2000, 2005 I came to Ireland. And I stuck around Lahinch until about 2009. Um, and came to the Hinch obviously to surf and, and have fun. Um, I got a few good job opportunities um, around the area. Um, I was working at Hotel Dune for the first three years of its opening. I was the chef that opened it up and designed the kitchens there. Um, and then then reception kind of kicked in. So um, opportunity came in India, and I decided to go there on vacation first. Uh, I was there for about a month, and in that month I had met a gentleman that. Um, had offered me a job to come cook for him. So I came back and, and I handed my notice in to, to my current job and, and I went off to India. And what sort of an establishment was it that you were working in? Was it a restaurant or a hotel? Well, yeah, so there we come to that point. So once I got to India, um, the, the gentleman that had wanted to take me on stopped answering his phone. So I was left fairly stuck um, in India at the moment, but um, being in India and being cooked so long, you can kind of find your way around. And, and what I first did is, is I went up to South India, a place called Barota, and I was actually teaching at a school for the first couple months of my time in India um, in a Swiss catering college um, called Sulia Palace Hotel. Um, so I spent two months there, roughly, and then I went down to a place called Pune, and I met a gentleman um, that was opening up an Italian restaurant slash an Indian-style restaurant. So it was basically a super, super restaurant. India, there's a lot of people that live in India, so their restaurants are on a different kind of level when it comes to seating. Um, it's about a 500-seater. Um, I was in charge of the Indian and the, and the Italian food. The people that you came across now, are they of different nationalities, or are they all Indian? Or is there a good mix? Just tell us a bit about that. It'd be predominantly Indian people um, that I would have came and mixed with, you know, 95% of the time. Um, there is quite a few Westerners over there um, doing computers and stuff, but definitely as a Westerner chef, we're in high demand. I mean, you, I, you, you could, I could find many jobs out there if, if I wanted. Um, it's just picking the right one and, and getting with the right group. Um, so it was, it's, yeah, it's definitely predominantly Indian society. It's, it's starting to grow, though. You find yourself then in this restaurant that it's a 500-seater. That's a huge restaurant. You're in charge of the Indian food and the Italian food. A bit of a contrast. 
It's crazy, yeah, yeah. So the Indian was obviously separate. It was a separate restaurant. Like, there was there was one big restaurant, but there was a separate seating for the Indian and Italian. And obviously, I'm, I'm new to Indian food, so, so I wouldn't be a professional. But I guess when you get to our level, um, we would have about 30 or 40 chefs in the kitchen. So I was, you know, I was in charge of making sure the Indian food was stabilized. You know, recipes always kind of went out the same. You know, really looking at labor costs and food costs. And trying to really manage the kitchen and getting systems really right, um, we, we we kind of have a lot to offer when it comes to um, a place like India, where uh, I guess in, in in Europe, you know, it's just a different scenario altogether. Where where in India, the wages are quite a bit lower. There's a lot more staff. Um, it's just a different work scenario. So in charge of the Indian, just making sure recipes were going out right, and then obviously with the Italian food, I. I would have been been in the mix quite a bit when it, when it comes to the menu designs and all that stuff. So it was it was definitely a battle to take on, especially when you're when you're in charge of the Indian. But I mean, I guess at the end of the day, when you get to the higher level of cooking, it's more about managing the staff. Um, definitely, when you get into those kind of style restaurants, I mean, I think the brigade was about thirty or forty um, people in the kitchen, um, which was quite a lot considering if you had the same kitchen in in Ireland, you, you'd need about ten or fifteen chefs. Did you find the the produce in terms of what did you think of the produce that you had at your disposal to create your produce dishes with India? It was very funny produce in India. You you get great Indian ingredients, obviously. You know they they come in abundance. Um, as for European ingredients, it's not so hard, or it's not so easy. Sorry, um, you you know chicken comes in freshly killed that day, um, but you know. Ingredients-wise, you'd get some pretty funny excuses, like their cow got sick today, so they couldn't drop off things, and they had to tend to their herbs, the cattle. Um, there was some some definitely um, good explanations that were quite comical over the over the two years I spent in India. You must have come across some wonderful spices. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, spices spices of life down there, and it's and it's amazing the palate that the Indians have. You know, for us, I think a curry is. A curry is a curry. You can kind of use a lot of curry ingredients, and, and I, I think for the majority of people, you can call any curry a curry. But for them, you know, there's there's hundreds of different styles of curries, and, and they'll know if there's you know a little bit too much cumin in one curry um, when it should be, you know, something like paprika. Um, they can really pick it out, um, and they like rich food now. Rich food is a, is, is a big one, and it was great India because you you can travel through India and the food changes so much when it definitely when it comes to curries and everything else. It's a massive Portuguese influence out there, um, as well as French um, in some parts. So food like changes every hundred kilometers, and it's it really is incredible. Um, a lot of people would think there's coconut and in every kind of style of curry, you know, when, when there's really not, you know, there's only one part of the area that would use coconut. When you, you know? came back to Ireland then, back to La Hinch, and you've opened up your own place there, it's called Randaddy's. Tell me about the menu there. Does it reflect your time that you spent in India? Yeah, the menu does reflect um, a little bit of my time that I've spent everywhere actually around the world. Um, I've kind of taken the good of everything that I've made and seen and, and uh, a big thing with Randaddy's and the way I've always been taught is is food, food to me, I hate reading the back of, of ingredients and, and packages. Packages is kind of a no-go zone for us. Um, everything is, is freshly made at Randaddy's, down to our breads every morning, you know, down to the barbecue sauce you get on your ribs. You know, we really like to know what's in the ingredients. You can really stand by it. Um, the way I was, it was definitely taught in Canada is, is that way. So the influence, Indian influence, would would always be in my cooking. Um, from a young age, I was I was I was taught by Indian chefs in in Vancouver, Canada, um, when I did a little bit of time there as well. Um, so there's there's always some kind of Indian spices going through my food. Um, people might not know it, but there there's always something going on. Yeah. And you have an Indian-inspired uh, dish that you're going to, to tell us about, that you're going to give the whole recipe to the listeners this evening. What's it called, the dish? Yeah. Um, basically, we're, we're, we're going to talk about uh, tandoori chicken. Ch- tandoori chicken. Um, and it, it's very simple. I find when I'm eating, around, eating out around and you look through all the grocery stores, you know, you see all these, these pastes and all that stuff and so it's quite simple. So the main thing, I think, with, with definitely Indian cooking when you're doing um, tandoori stuff, 
Um, lots of things can fit in tandoori's. Ta- a tandoori basically is a clay oven that they put coal in the bottom, they skewer up things, and, and they put it in. So um, when you're doing with a tandoori, or any grilling for that matter, marinating is the key. So in this recipe, um, marinating for 24 hours is a must. And it's a tandoori chicken. So basically you're going to get a, a tablespoon of coriander, a tablespoon of cumin, one tablespoon of turmeric, um, one teaspoon of chili powder, one tablespoon of smoked paprika, one tablespoon of fresh ginger, one tablespoon of garlic, minced. Um, Now, I prefer to use sun-dried tomatoes, um, just a small handful of sun-dried tomatoes, and you're going to squeeze one whole lemon in there, and you're going to use 500 um, milliliters of yogurt, preferably Greek yogurt is what I use. And you're going to puree all that up in your either RoboCube or blender, or you can just finely chop all the ingredients and, and throw it into the, into the yogurt. And then you're going to take probably four breasts of chicken. Now, you can hold some of the, some of the marinade back. It'll stay good in your fridge for quite a while, and, and you can actually use the marinade for other things. You can even put it into your, your curry as well. So after you've marinated all that, um, you are going to skewer it up and pan fry it. Um, preferably, if you have a barbecue, it works best on the barbecue. At night, to get a nice char grill, you want, you want that char smoky flavor on the outside of it. Um, and then you pop it in the oven or you finish it off on the char grill um, to your liking. When you're marinating the chicken, is it better to have it cubed beforehand to marinate it? Definitely. 100% chop it up so you can get all the, the, the yummy ingredients inside there. And what the yogurt really does... Um, it really breaks down the chicken and puts a load of moisture and ingredients in it. And for that matter, any chicken, I think, that anybody wants to really cook, even if they're roasting off a chicken, I'd leave a chicken sit in a little bit of salt water for 24 hours, and the chicken that comes out of it is, is phenomenal, really. Um, as well, to, to go along with it, you would um, make, make yourself a quick coriander chutney. This is a very simple recipe. Again, you can use a little bit of Greek yogurt, um, a tablespoon of cumin, um, some, you're going to use one whole bunch of fresh coriander, uh, two, about, about two or three leaves of mint. You're going to use um, green onions, just the green part of it, a little splash of lemon juice, and some fresh ginger and garlic. And you're going to puree all that up. And that's a little bit of a dipping sauce for your chicken as well. And that's it? Simple as? Yeah, that's it. Simple as. It's a quick starter, a quick, quick main course. You know, you even saute off yourself some little bit of vegetables so it's a nice easy meal i mean it's coming off the char grill i mean there's no fat going into it there's no fat anywhere so i'll take off a couple even grill up a couple of vegetables with you nice light easy meal if you're doing it on the skewers you could put a bit of red pepper green pepper on alternate yeah. that with the chicken pieces yeah turn it into you know again they have so many different names out there you you, you know you could almost call that a chicken tikka um masala coming off the tandoori as well. Well, it sounds absolutely delicious. And you're going to put that recipe up onto your Facebook page? Facebook page is Randaddy's The Hinch. And it's also going to be up on the website. Um, and it will be randaddies.ie. Well, it sounds great. Definitely one that I am determined to try now because my husband is a huge fan of Indian food and I think he would enjoy it, as would I. So thank you so much, Randy, for coming on the show tonight to share that. And just a reminder there for the listeners that your website is randaddies.ie and you're in the hinch. Thanks very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. If you've just joined us, just before the break, I was talking to Randy Lewis about his culinary experiences in India. And before that, Chef Wade Murphy was here discussing the impact that having to make allergen information available is having on the restaurant industry. Never fear if you missed some of the show, as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week, along with all the previous shows. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Still to come tonight, 
TJ O'Connor will be highlighting some of the events taking place tomorrow in the Institute of Technology in Tralee at the Food for Thought event. Next, though, it's time to introduce my next guest, who is no stranger to the show. John McKenna, along with his wife Sally, are widely regarded as the font of all knowledge when it comes to deciding where the best places to eat and stay are in Ireland. They've recently launched three new apps to make it as easy as ABC for us, and John is on the line to tell us more. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. John, welcome to the show this evening. Thanks very much, Sharon. I'd say you're on a bit of a high after the success of your new apps. Tell us about them. Yeah, um, well, their success, of course, has come uh, as a surprise because, you know, we've been writing these books, uh, The 100 Best Restaurants in Ireland, The 100 Best Places to Stay in Ireland, um, since 1992. So, you know, we're right along in the tooth and you don't expect books like that. Well, say sell steadily, um, you know, you don't sort of expect them to be in bestseller lists ahead of popular games and gadgets and so on, and yet uh, as we speak, there they are. Uh, we have three apps in the top 20 uh, in, the, in the store, uh, so that's a kind of surprise to us. Um, it's a tribute, I think, really to our collaborators, because we worked with um, a wonderful lecturer in DCU, Donald Mulligan, and some of his graduate students, and, you know, they worked really hard at making the app a beautiful thing and i suppose that this is one of the things that you really do have to think about whether you're techie or not is that you know you're you're saying to people well not only do i want to to sort of help you discover the best restaurants and the nicest places to stay in ireland but i want the process of using the app and and making the discoveries to be um as enjoyable and as um aesthetic um, as possible, and I, I think they've done a wonderful job in doing that, and certainly the feedback we've had since we launched um, has, has been that people actually really love using the apps. The navigability um, is very good, they're very fast, and so hopefully it's a nice experience. Well, let's explain what an app is for the non-techie people, <laughs> because there well, could be one or two on the, the line at, or on, listening in at the moment. And I'm wondering why can't they go into a bookshop and get and, and get this book that the McKenna's have been writing since the, the crack of dawn. Yeah, an, an app is an electronic book, uh, but you don't get it in a book uh, shop. You download it from uh, from the Apple Store or the Google Store. Uh, they're much, much cheaper than books, which is one uh, advantage to them. But the advantage um, and the things that we were kind of keen to maximize really this year is that if you use the app, if you download the app to your phone or to your tablet, um, you know, we can add in so much extra information. We can add in extra photographs of, of, of the featured restaurant or the featured place to stay. We can give you a Google map, which will tell you exactly how to get there and, in fact, practically take you to the door of the, um, of the establishment. Uh, we can let you link into their social media and Facebook pages and different things like that so you can see what they're up to. You don't have to make a telephone call, of course, you just press the button where the telephone number is and uh, it puts you through. You can click through and see their menus. So it was the, the attraction for us having written books um, for so long was all of the extras that we could add in um, to make the experience richer for, for, for the reader and for the user of the app. So, so an app, if you like, is a superannuated book. Essentially, that's what it is. But it's not a book. It's, it's, it's on your phone. It's on your tablet. Um, it's on your computer. You've described lots of advantages there of the app over the books. Does that mean that the books are now a thing of the past? Pretty much, except actually for um, the, the third app that we launched this week is our uh, Where to Eat and Stay on the Wild Atlantic Way. But we also last year launched a book uh, of that. And in fact, in about 10 days or so, we will actually have the second edition of that book. Um, why, did we do, why, did, why did we stick with a book? Well, I mean, the app, again, I think, um, I, I think DCU have produced a wonderful app for us because it not only let us describe the places on the WAW, but it let us include a lot of information about, you know, places to detour to that were of uh, historical or geographical or tourist interest. It let us use a whole lot of different kind of um, uh, smart things, like, for example, you if you're in the place X, you can call up the menu and it'll say, well, do you fancy some pub food? Would you like a cup of coffee? And you press that button and it will just tell you exactly where to get the best cup of coffee in the locality or, you know, who, who has the nicest bar food or whatever. Um, but there will still be a book. People like the book of, of The Wild Atlantic Way, and it's still in its infancy. But I suppose, to be perfectly honest, when you see all the extra things that the app c- 
can allow you to do um, and seeing the reaction that we've had from people who've, who've, who've downloaded it in the first couple of days um, I, I think realistically the writing is is on the wall for for um, books people want portability they want maps they want speed and I certainly learned this um, back in 2012 when we did our last big Irish food guide and I, I produced a book that would that was 700 pages long and you know it, it wasn't a success people just said I don't want a 700 page book it's too big it's too unwieldy it actually has too much information so I think the the interesting thing that the app does is that it lets the user um, shall we say edit the information to get exactly what they want without having to carry a 700 page tome around in their in, in their bag it's also cheaper it is way cheaper, of course, and uh, which is quite a nice from our point of view because, you know, I, I love publishing books, but um, t- a week after I'd published a book, I'd get a nice big bill from my printer, and I have done so for 25 years. Uh, yes, I mean, the costs are, are less, um, so, you, you know, you don't have the, the costs relative to um, the, the, the percentage that the bookseller has to get, the percentage that the distributor has to get, and so on and so forth. So they're, they're economically... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're much, much better value for the consumer. There's absolutely no question about that. Uh, apps actually, realistically speaking, at the present moment are are actually probably too cheap. And I would imagine that price will begin to, to inch up in, in, in the years to come. But, you know, what that means is at the present moment, uh, you know, you can download the 100 best restaurants in Ireland. You can download all three of our apps and it won't cost you a tenner. And yet you will have, you know, all the most up-to-date information about the best places to eat and stay in Ireland and where to travel on the West Coast. Well, let's talk about the specifics in terms of the best places to eat and the best places to stay. A oh. hundred of each of them. And I would imagine people want to know what does a restaurant or a hotel or a and b or a food cart have to do <laughs> to be in there? Because it's quite a mix of places this yep. year. Uh, you have to be creative. You have to be a creative person. You have to be a creative cook uh, to get in the 100 restaurants and to get in the 100 best places to stay. You have to be an imaginative and creative uh, purveyor of hospitality, really. But that, that is actually what we're looking for. It doesn't matter you know, if you're running a takeaway or a cart or a shack on a beach or a five-star hotel. And lately, I think, in fact, not only lately, but I'd say increasingly in recent times, what I've come to realize is that grand places tend to get complacent in terms of creativity. In in other words, they sort of say, we've got this wonderful building and it's very grand and the carpet's deep pile and look at how smartly our staff are dressed and so on and so forth. And to me increasingly, and certainly to my younger editors, you know, we, we feel that that old kind of style of service actually gets in the way increasingly, you know, that it's not, it's not very personal, it's not very spontaneous, it's very learned. Um, I, I was in a French restaurant recently and found the experience actually annoying. Um, not the food, which was very, very good, but the, but the service by the staff, which was done by the book. They were very prompt, they were very efficient, they were polite, and they dro- nearly drove me insane because they... They weren't in any sense sincere or personal. It was people going through the motions, doing their job, doing it well. And I sort of thought, you know, French cuisine was a great gift to the world, but French service is actually no gift to the world whatsoever because it has dominated our view of how you serve food at a restaurant. And as I get older, um, and this is the feedback I get from my editors as well, increasingly I feel that that old-style school of French services, actually, it, 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 it annoys me. Now, maybe I'm getting old and decrepit, but uh, it gets in the way of the experience. And I suppose the big lesson I learned this year, you know, as you, as you, as, as you mentioned, we, we have food carts, and, well, of course, somebody would be entitled to say a food cart is not a restaurant. But what it is is a food experience, and it can be a very unmediated, spontaneous, and rich food experience. Um, and that was what we were trying to convey in, in, in this book and hopefully also convey in the style of the app you know that what we're interested in is not a grand experience but it's a real experience dictated by the creativity of the person who is serving you cooking for you and looking after you well if somebody has the app and they can go anywhere in ireland where are you going to tell them to go <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I would like to suggest, you know, that they try the food carts because, of course, we have one um, up in Derry, just in the shadow of the Foil Bridge, Pike and Palms. 
And we have one which is uh, sometimes on a beach in Court McSharry in uh, West Cork and sometimes in the uh, in, in, in the business park in Clonakilty, and that's run by Diana Dodog, who, of course, people will know as the winner of MasterChef. And it's called the Food Depot. And, you know, th- they are brilliant examples of what I mean when I say, okay, it's not a restaurant, but it is a profound food experience. Two great chefs doing things the way, exactly the way they, they want to. They're not working for the bank. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a well-known secret, if you like, that Kevin Pike and Pike and Palms got his food car started for £10,000. I mean, £10,000 is what people in a restaurant spend on cutlery, you know? And here he has the whole shebang up and running and serving happy customers for 10K. So, I, 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 you know, obviously, yes, by all means, visit the, um, <coughs> you, you, you know, visit the food carts. But, but there are loads of um, great places out there. And, you know, often simple places. I mean, one of the classics, of course, is, is Canteen in Limerick, which is, you know, this little shoebox of a place. But when you learn, you know, that Paul Williams has served his time with people like Heston Blumenthal, and you see how well he understands the business. I mean, I, I have known very, very experienced restaurateurs whom, whom, I, whom I would know quite well who have gone to Canteen and been completely blown away by what Paul is doing. And you sort of say, well, hang on a minute, you guys run grand restaurants and you run big city places, and, and what is it about Canteen? And they just say, you know, He's doing everything the way he wants to do it. No compromises in as pure and unmediated a fashion as you could possibly do it. And, and, and that's his brilliance. So, you know, that's been the, the, the lucky thing about the last few years is that, is that we, we have, if you like, been knocking down the walls. We've been knocking down the walls, of hopefully, of, of people's expectation. And, and we're able to say, look, don't judge the book by the cover. This is a great place run by a great, great guy. And he's got serious history, you know. It's like, for example... You know, you could go up to Harry's shack on the beach in Port Stewart and sort of say, well, look, for God's sake, it's a wooden hut, you know. But, you know, the guy, Derek Craig, who's cooking there, he's been in starred places. He's won Michelin stars. He's worked with Heston Blumenthal and Michael Dean and you name it. So uh, it's not just our quest for simplicity. It's also, in, in many ways, chefs who have worked in grand places themselves on their, their search for simplicity and wanting to, as I say, to give the most pure food experience and I think that's really what the books are about this year Sharon Well I think it's fabulous now that they're they're there to have on the iPhone it's so handy because over the past 12 months since I started talking to you and interviewing you I've been using your website to find places for my journey up and down to the north and Harry Shack came to my attention because of you guys and Hearts in Kildare is another example and it's my new stop off point whenever I'm, I'm heading up home so I um, I think it's super that they've been such a success already and no doubt they will continue to go and grow from, from strength to strength at €2.99 each. Like It's great value for money, it's for nothing really. And if listeners want to go online and buy, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I mean, again, you know, through through the Apple Store or, or through the Google Store, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's really quite straightforward. Um, I mean, the, the 100 Restaurants app, uh, you know, it, its logo, because it has to be very short, it comes up as Eat 2015, and the 100 Best Places to Stay uh, comes up as Stay 2015, and the, the, the Wild Atlantic Way app comes up as WAW. Um, but, but thankfully, they're there, and they're, as I say, because they're, because they're in the top 20, they're, um, they're very visible, and, I mean, downloading them literally takes seconds, and then hopefully you're equipped um, for the road, and hopefully, you know, one little thought that struck me uh, a while ago when we started experimenting kind of with apps and how we were going to develop them. Um, I hope we've done a little bit for, um, should we say, both restaurant harmony and marital harmony, because one of the interesting things that happens, of course, and any restaurateur will tell you this, that every so often you get a couple who come in the door and you know they've just had a fight in the car, right? And, and you can tell they're angry with each other. Now, the reason why they're probably angry with each other is because they got lost on the way there and because, of course, as we know, when we discuss the male psyche, male drivers will not ask anybody for directions, you see. So, hence, he won't ask directions and she gets annoyed and they get late and they have a fight and they turn up at the restaurant and they're terrible customers, you see. So, hopefully, now with the app, they can kind of say, okay, take me here. And there's no big fight in the car before you go in, which spoils, you know, the mood of the restaurant, spoils your dinner. You can't enjoy eating food when you're angry with somebody. Um, So I hope we've done a little bit for marital harmony as well. Super, John. Thanks so much for that. Good to talk to you as always. And if people are in doubt, they should go to guides.ie and they'll certainly find a link there straight over to the Apple Store. 
You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break you heard me chatting to John McKenna about the new apps which are an invaluable resource to ensure that you find the best places to eat and stay when you're out and about in Ireland. Also a great website there, guides.ie. We're going to find out more about a specific event that is on tomorrow in Tralee. It's part of Enterprise Month in County Kerry and it's called Food for Thought. TJ O'Connor, who is head of the Hotel, Culinary and Tourism Department, is on the phone to explain what it's all about. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. TJ, thanks for taking the call this evening. You have a very busy day tomorrow at Tralee Institute of Technology at the Food for Thought event. Tell me what's taking place. That's right. Thanks a million for the opportunity to come on, Sharon. And um, yeah, we're very excited. Um, tomorrow sees the third Food for Thought event at IT Tralee. Um, and basically it is a celebration of everything that is good about uh, food and, and beverage in our, in, in our region and beyond and um, what it includes is farmers stroke food market um, cookery demonstrations which are free to the public and uh, a series of food and beverage workshops um, which, and in addition to that then there is um, what we would call industry related workshops that are directly um, aimed at um, the Vintners Association and the Restaurant Association of Ireland and Irish Hotels Federation well, let's talk first about the market because everybody loves a good food market. What time is it starting at? Um, the, the food market is from 10 until 3 and um, we, we really want to send a message out there that, um, you know, that people in, in, the, in the locality and indeed far beyond that it is very much open and it is a great showcase of what we have um, both locally and regionally and beyond that and um, we would love to see as many people as possible avail of it. Um, there will be many offerings that will be ready to eat. Um, artists and producers, for example, doing chutneys and cheeses and uh, baked bake products, etc. So a late breakfast, lunch or late, late lunch? Late plus exactly, a brunch. We could call it a brunch yep. and maybe if anybody even wanted a late lunch. <laughs> plus a few bits and take home to enjoy exactly. at home at your leisure. Exactly. So that's the market. Then there's demos. Yeah. Tell me who is doing the cookery demos. Um, so we've got cookery demos um, and they're in our lecture theatre. So it holds 110 people. So there will be ample space. Um, admission is free. And we start off at um, 10 o'clock with Mark Doe, um, the very renowned Mark Doe from Just Cooking in Fireys. And then that is followed at 11.30 by Derek O'Moraku, and he's presenting um, a workshop on foraging. And then that's followed at 1 o'clock by John Desmond. And John Desmond is co-owner of the Island Cottage Restaurant on Hare Island in West Cork. And then finally, the grand finale, last but definitely not least, at 2.30, we've got um, Louise Brosnan, um, Louise is a student of IT Trilly. She also works in the Global Village in Dingle, and she is the, um, she has featured many times on the television programme um, O Cuisine on TG Cahar. And then on top of that, you have some workshops. Various workshops, and there is a food blogging workshop for beginners, and that runs from two until four, two beverage workshops. One is a cocktail masterclass, the art of making cocktails, and that will be delivered by... Richard Linden um, from the Dublin Bar Academy and then uh, in the afternoon also from 2 to 4 um, at the moment in Kerry we actually have um, five craft brewers and um, four of them are coming to us on the day um, and are going to showcase um, their produce. I'd imagine that'll be very popular with the students. <laughs> it probably will be, yeah. I don't think that we won't we won't have to do too much of a hard sell in that one, I think, somehow. I suppose the Food for Thought event as well gives us a fantastic opportunity to collaborate with, with, with other organisations. So Falcha Ireland are hosting a workshop and it's um, providing an authentic Irish middle-of-the-day lunchtime offering in a cost-effective way and that's directly uh, aimed at the Vintners. 
Earlier on the show tonight, I was talking to John McKenna about his new apps. And that's John McKenna from John and Sally McKenna's Guide Study. Yeah. And John is going to be there tomorrow. John will be there also, yeah. John, is. Uh, this is a very exciting. Um, uh, we're also collaborating with the Traded Project. Traded Project is, is based... Um, um, IT Trilly is part of the trade project. It's a, Euro- a European project and it's working with artists and producers in the meat, um, dairy and bakery sector. And they're also putting on a workshop um, for supply chain and distribution networks for small scale food producers, uh, people with the calibre of John McKenna being there as well. We also have two other very interesting workshops um, I suppose everybody is aware of the new allergen legislation We were actually talking about that just at the start yeah. of the programme this evening with uh, Wade Murphy from 1826 Adair So um, Sid Sheehan um, who is a, tra- uh, a trained chef um, has now opened up his own business and it's called Nourish by Nature in the stall and he's going to present a workshop industry inside insider allergen legislation landmines for professionals and then there's another very interesting one actually it is going to be delivered by Caroline Rigney from Courageous Pork and Michael Gleason who is Ballyhar Foods um, uh, and it is marketing Ireland's native breeds, why we need to eat them to save them. We're also working in conjunction with Case Kerry on that day uh, and our students from a, batch, a BA programme in culinary arts that we have will present um, a part of their programme is they have to design a food product and they have to develop it and bring it to fruition and um, showcase it to the marketplace. And that's going to happen on that day. So that, for the first time, happened last year um, with that particular group. And some of them have actually gone, gone on and secured funding and support to actually develop the, prob- the product and bring it to um, fruition. Um, to the market and some of them have been very successful so we're very excited about that If people want to get more information what's the web address? Uh, the web address if people want to get more information is www.itfully.ie backslash food for thought and there is um, you know the, the, all the information in relation to booking the various workshops um, uh, is on that web link um, but as I said most of the um, uh, sorry, most of the cookery demos and that are free. Well, I suppose, sorry, you know, with all, all that we talked about, I, I forgot three very, very important workshops. Um, there are food workshops, which are aimed at, again, uh, food enthusiasts and professional chefs generally, but indeed anybody from the general public also. There's um, an artisan bread-making um, workshop, and that's with Orla McGowan from the successful Bacchus Bakery in, in Clahan here in County Kerry. Um, absolutely fantastic uh, person and project, just absolutely amazing. And then you also have um, Michelin star chef JP McMahon is going to deliver a workshop on fermentation. Um, so we're delighted with that and should be absolutely brilliant. And then we also have... Um, Learning the Art of Smoking Food, and that's with Anthony Creswell from Omera Smoke Products, which are award-winning. And again, absolutely. You know, the, I suppose the big thing that we strive with this is the integrity of everybody that's in it. And, you know, and, and that's what gives the event the integrity that it has. All those food workshops um, are uh, three to four hours in duration and start at 10 o'clock in the morning. TJ, you're very good to talk to me about it this evening. Thanks so much for coming on to the show. No problem, and Sharon, I appreciate uh, the support. And um, hopefully um, people will come in their droves tomorrow and support us. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Now, that brings us to the end of this evening's show. Thanks so much for listening, and of course, to all of my guests, Wade Murphy, John McKenna, Randy Lewis and TJ O'Connor. Tonight's show will be up on the podcast soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show in the next day or two. Until next week when restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley will return. Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!